Binabu presents the MedTech Podcast. If you're intrigued and want to learn more about how technology is changing healthcare, then this podcast is perfect for you. If you want to learn about entrepreneurship and innovation, then stick around. My name's Ash, and welcome to the conversation. Hey guys, before we get into this episode, I just wanted to ask you all a massive favor. So I've been producing these episodes now consistently for the last four months, and I absolutely love it. I love producing you guys' episodes, and I love speaking to new people and hearing about their amazing stories and gaining valuable insights. But one thing I would ask is that, please, if you've been enjoying these episodes also, then just hit that follow button. Whatever podcasting platform you're listening to this episode on, hit the follow button, hit the bell icon, and just leave an episode rating. I would just really appreciate it, and it just honestly helps the channel to grow. Thank you so much, guys, and let's get into this episode. Hey, guys, welcome back to the MedTech Podcast. Today, I'm delighted to announce that I'm with Dr. Vishal Varani. He's the head of UK Health at YouTube, also the co-founder of Doctorpreneurs, which is an amazing community for like-minded medical innovators, the governor of the Royal Free NHS Trust, and extensive experience in healthcare strategy consulting, true expert in the field. I'm really delighted to have you. So please, Vishal, introduce yourself. Hi, Ash. Thank you. Uh, nice to be with 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 you all. And I, I think you did did a lot of the introducing for me. So thank you. But yeah, in a nutshell, um, started out on the clinical track, did my F1, F, F2, my foundation year training. And then I went and did healthcare consulting for a few years, working for a variety of different medical services, medical technology companies. And then I went into digital health for a few years, worked at a company called Ada Health. So I was working on uh, business development on some of our clinical research projects as well and so that was a wild ride and learned a lot and um, have now ended up at YouTube and have been here for the last couple of years building out our health initiative in the UK. Yeah YouTube is exciting I mean specifically with me I remember watching YouTube when I was probably like 10 so it's been around for a very long time hasn't it? And so it's exciting that YouTube has now recently launched this health division YouTube Health and so people ask, why, why is there a need for YouTube health? I think it's quite obvious, right? If people are consuming content on YouTube, people are sh- uh, uploading videos, there is going to be a need for a regulation in- to ensure that the content that is being released is, in fact, pre-vetted to ensure that it's accurate. And so I want to ask you, actually, because YouTube has been around for so long, do you think that the need for YouTube health has actually come a bit too late? It should have come a bit earlier. So, so this thing with, with YouTube health is that is our active intervention to make it easier for viewers to access high quality health information on the platform. But people have been using YouTube for many years to access health information. And, you know, there has been a lot of really high quality health information on the platform for many years because the NHS has been putting content on individual doctors and other health charities have been putting content on on YouTube for many years. And if you look at some of the NHS channels, for example, there are videos from 10, 12 years ago that are still getting tens of thousands of views today. So accessing health content on YouTube has been a thing for a very long time. Um, and, and so what we're now trying to do is to superpower that process, both in terms of the supply of content, but also in terms of the viewer experience when uh, consuming that content. So tell me a bit about what the mission is at YouTube Health then. So it, it's it's all about trying to 
maximize both the quality and the quantity of authoritative health information on the platform. So we can see that viewer demand is exponentially increasing for a, a whole host of different health topics. What we need to make sure is that when viewers are searching for these health topics, they are able to access high quality health information from a variety of different sources. And so we have launched our health shelves as of last year, which means if you search for any health topic on the platform at the top of the search results, you'll see a shelf labeled from health sources. And that contains videos specifically coming from authoritative sources. And so in the UK, we've worked really closely with NHS England and the Academy of Medical Royal Colleges in order to define a set of content standards uh, which every single NHS organization across the UK has to self-certify against in order for their channel to be eligible for the health shelves. And so at the moment, those health shelves only contain information, uh, videos from NHS organizations as well as some leading US health institutions as well. And so that is our way of indicating to the viewer that if they want to access information from a health institution and a, a kind of accredited health institution, then they have that option on the platform. But underneath that health shelf, there are a range of different videos about that health topic also available from maybe individuals who are living with a particular condition from certain um, for, from certain organizations that are developing solutions that can help address um, some of the, the, the diagnosis or treatment of, of some of the conditions. So, you know, for us, it's about having that full range of, of content, but also making it clear to the viewers how they can access the, the sort of public health institution or the approved content from public health institutions as well. And so, you know, that's the product on the product feature side and then on the partnership side, which is where I spend a lot of my time. It's about working with the right organizations and individuals so that those health shelves are populated with um, a large number of videos. Yeah, I was just going to get onto that, actually. So the, the term head of UK health of YouTube is, is obviously very glamorous, but I can imagine how, how much hard work you're doing. It's, it's a huge task, right, to ensure that all the YouTube's a massive platform, isn't it? It's probably, I think I read somewhere that last year health videos alone that accumulated to around two billion views, and so that's a lot of views, a lot of videos that you're having to go through to make you sure, pay. yeah, yeah, to, to, to in the UK to make sure that the, that that the patients can be confident in the information that they're getting. So tell me a bit about what's a what's an I mean I was going to say normal day, but what what is a day like for Dr. Vishal Varani at YouTube? Um, so no, it's uh, a little bit of watching some Mr. Beast, then watching the Sidemen, <laughs> then you know, <laughs> Mr. Who's the Boss. No, um, of course, that's all very important research for, for the job, but um, it is a lot of it is about is partnership discussions. So I am spending a lot of my time working with NHS organizations that are already active on YouTube and our partners of ours. So, for example, NHS England, Department of Health and Social Care, Great Ormond Street, UCLH, Imperial and various other partners. So, you know, upskilling the content, upskilling them to create higher and higher quality content that is even more engaging, but then also working with them to identify the content gaps, the areas where we really need more high quality authoritative information on the platform. So some time is spent with those existing partners. A lot of time is spent trying to engage the broader health ecosystem in order to bring new voices 
to the platform. So who are the clinicians out there that are maybe just getting started on YouTube with a channel or, or are interested in getting started? And how can we help empower them and educate them to take that next step and actually start uploading content on health in, about health information? Um, and then equally thinking about the health charities that are out there you know, they are already creating really high quality health information, but then how can we help them to make that content more relevant for the audiences that they're trying to target? And what are the tweaks that they can make to their content strategy, to the videos that they are creating? So a lot of it is on that partnership side externally facing. And then there is a lot of work that we do internally to figure out what is the right infrastructure to develop so that we can provide re the right resources to these to these partners. But then, as you know, as you alluded to, the challenge that we have around balancing, um, you, know, uh, you know, where we have two billion, where we have two billion plus views of this of this content, but also nearly two hundred thousand videos, health videos uploaded in 2021, just in the UK, as an example, then there is there is, you know, a lot of work to be done in order to understand the processes by which we should be removing certain pieces of video content, the process by which we should be promoting some content and not other content on the platform. And so there's a lot of internal discussions that we will have around that with various different colleagues. Sure. And I think it's especially difficult as well in terms of promoting accurate health information because YouTube has always been, it's been built as a platform to be driven by views, clickbaits, and it's almost always been about how people can level up their videos to get more and more views, increase their audience. And so how has that been balancing the fact that there is going to be sensationalized health information out there, which is actually aiming to draw views in. We refer to the four R's of responsibility at YouTube and, and that underpins a lot of the work that we do with health content. So we have the remove stream, which is, um, which is the process by which we'll remove specific videos where they contravene the policies that we have in place. And so we work very hard to develop misinformation policies that cover a range of different misinformation that you might see on the platform and outline what is allowed and what isn't allowed. Uh, and therefore, and, and we try to work with a range of different stakeholders on developing those policies. And that then enables us to very transparently and objectively remove content that contravenes those policies. And so we work is a combination of algorithms and sort of human doctors in the loop to, to try to identify content which needs to be removed. And so we aim to remove it before it gets any views at all. And, and, and you know, we are able to achieve that for a lot of the content that it's uploaded. Um, and then the second stream that we talk about is raising up. And so, you know, that is what the health shelves are there to do, to raise up that high quality information. So recognizing what is a high quality authoritative health video and then making sure that's elevated on the platform. And as I said, we work with third parties in order to define what high quality videos look like. And then the third stream is, is to reward. And so we'll work very hard to create this positive kind of cycle for, uh, for, for, our, for our health institutions and our uh, health creators, whereby 
we're continually providing them with the right support to, to create more and more content. And obviously, there's an element of that, which is the financial return for them uh, that they can gain from the platform. But also, sometimes it's about the brand building for them. So if they create high quality content that we recognize as high quality, we then raise that up. That means they get more and more views of that content. As a result, they start building up their profile. They can then leverage that profile on the platform to generate additional revenue, but then also off the platform if they want to, uh, if they want to, uh, you know, develop other initiatives, build their own brand. So that's that's the reward. And then the fourth one is is reduce, whereby we will look to identify lower quality or lower credibility content, which is not necessarily contravening our policies, but maybe doesn't have the same depth of evidence based attached to it. Is not content coming from a qualified healthcare professional and so that content still has a place on the platform but we may sometimes reduce the visibility of some of that content for viewers and i'm interested in what this vetting process to the, the vetting process for this far scheme that youtube has because with medicine specifically a lot of stuff is um anecdotal patient experiences and so it, it's not always evidence-backed information from the nhs you people might go onto youtube as this community and look up a video of someone who also may have um i don't know high blood pressure and how they're managing their medication and so how do you balance the fact that despite it not being from specifically an authoritative credible source it still is valuable to the people coming onto the platform looking up information yeah, so we recognize the the importance of, of what we call lived experiences content on the platform. Absolutely. And especially for chronic diseases, once you have figured out the nuts and bolts up front about your about your the condition you've been newly diagnosed with, a lot of the 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 determination of whether you are able to manage your disease successfully or not is down to the lifestyle decisions that you make and so this lived experience content becomes critical in that journey for chronic disease patients in particular and and therefore we are working on ways of elevating that content so in the us for example we've got a personal stories shelf which means that if people type in something like living with cancer living with depression there is then a shelf of videos coming from a different set of sources which uh, outlines that lived experience and so that will be content coming from lay people from individuals who are um, suffering from a particular disease and and so you know there are ways and means by which we're quality controlling that content and then getting that onto these personal stories shelves and then hopefully we can bring that to other geographies and mm. other other countries like the UK in due course yeah and how is it balancing the fact that people might be giving their lived experiences with the fact that it might be coming across as misinformation? If someone's saying that their medication was rubbish, it didn't work at all, no one else should take it, that's their lived experience. But then how does YouTube come along and say, you know what, despite the whole premise of the platform being community, being a community which anyone can add value, anyone can upload a video giving their lived experience, this is not factual information and we need to take it down. It's a fine line, right? Yeah. So again, I'll come back to the policy. So we would then, you know, every single video 
will be uh, judged against those misinformation policies, whether it comes from a healthcare professional, health institution, or a layperson, um, or a company that's trying to push a particular product. So whomever it is, they need to adhere to those policies. And therefore, if there is misinformation, then we'll remove it. Now, if there is kind of alternative information, so to speak, that, uh, that they are sharing, which is maybe not incorrect, but doesn't have the same depth of evidence uh, around it, then that's where we will reduce or suppress some of that content in the algorithm. So, you know, we would treat that content the same as the content coming from healthcare professionals. And so I, I know I listened to your podcast you did with uh, Dr. James Summary, a uh, great podcast, by the way. And you were talking a bit about long form content and and also balancing that with short form content and i know you said in the podcast that obviously youtube started as long form content it'll always be at the forefront of the driver for youtube but i wanted to discuss a little bit about short form content because it is massively exploded in the, in the last couple of years and it's huge and especially amongst people from the ages of 13 to 25 this demographic is, is consuming short form content way more than long form how is youtube addressing this change in the consumption of content so, so i mean i guess the fact that we've gone down the road of youtube shorts is is our response to this change in the way viewers are consuming content to say okay we need to introduce short form content because viewers are asking for it um and so you know i think i think it's fantastic it basically broadens out the options that are available to viewers in terms of the format of the content that they would like to like to um, watch in the health context specifically, I think shorts are particularly exciting because there's a lot of health information that can be very succinctly conveyed in a short, and sometimes in a longer form video, the important points about a condition or about how to treat condition or about the reasons why you should go for a for your cervical screen are lost because there is, you know, too many other things that that content creator decides to cover in that video. And so shorts lend themselves very well to conveying um, educational topics in general. Um, and so, and, and you know, that's one thing. The other thing is that what we're seeing with shorts is it becomes a really great entry point for new creators. So I talked previously about how a lot of my work is around encouraging the clinician community to create content to get started on YouTube. Now, YouTube historically has been hard because that those long form videos take a lot of time to create. There's a lot of editing work. There's a lot of post-production in general. Uh, there's a lot of script writing that you have to think about. Whereas with shorts, you can have a little bit more of an informal style. We are developing some really interesting tools to make it easier to create that content via the app itself. And therefore, it is a great way to get started on the platform. And, and so we'll often use that as a hook to get healthcare professionals onto the platform. Say, look, start by creating a few shorts and see if you can get some traction with that. Um, so, yeah, for me, shorts is very exciting in the health realm. And, um, you know, we're very keen to see more shorts coming from in healthcare professionals and health institutions. I think they have been a little bit slower to to um, to dive into shorts uh, because I think there is sometimes some hesitation around whether you can 
do a topic justice in one minute and also whether you can cover all of the references and evidence base that you wanted to for a particular topic within that one minute and I think that's where people are starting to get innovative in terms of the ways that they're incorporating that evidence base into a one minute video yeah and I definitely appreciate that one minute isn't a lot of time and I can appreciate why um, people might be a bit worried, a bit hesitant to start producing healthcare related content because yeah, you, you can't fit in a lot in one minute. If you actually tried talking to a camera about a topic for one minute, you, you realize the time's up before you even started. But I'm really happy that you have YouTube are acknowledging the, the value of shorts and short form content because at university specifically, obviously m- myself being a medical student in fourth year, everyone around me is consuming short form content. I am pretty much one of the only one in my friend groups who still watches long form content. And it just goes to show that it is, it is growing and growing and growing to the point where maybe it might even overtake long form content because people don't have enough time in the day to sit down and watch a full 20 minute video. And so there needs to be ways in which uh, platforms like YouTube are innovating and making it easier. And uh, for firstly, to firstly produce short form content, but also make sure that the short form content that is being reduced is also factual and um, follows the same, the same four pillars, the the four R's that you mentioned um, with long form content. And I wanted to talk a little bit about how you guys combating misinformation. So I know you mentioned the four R's and, but specifically I'm interested in, so I know it's a big topic of discussion at the moment and we, we don't have to go into it at all, but uh, the whole, when tw- um, Elon Musk bought Twitter, there was a whole misinformation scandal where files got leaked that um, there was misinformation uh, that was censored of the COVID-19 vaccines and it was due to the US government's agendas and their policies. And so I want to know how, how are YouTube ensuring that that doesn't happen and that information that is provided to people will always be true to the patient to allow them to make an informed decision without any sort of bias, without any sort of authoritative body, for example, the government or the NHS swaying it is always going to be the latest evidence-backed information. So, so yeah, I think, that, to be honest, we do need to work with third parties on this because we don't have all of the answers. And, and we are experts we're technology experts in terms of keeping an extremely large platform um, active and running effectively and experts in the media business in terms of creating a cohort of content creators who depend on youtube for their livelihood and you know generated a business model that is successful that works for them so there are certain things that we are expert in but we are not expert in the creation of content and neither are we um you know the exclusive experts around content moderation and so especially with health content we see partnerships as a key to success. So I know you said that, you know, how would we not be swayed by X or Y? But at the end of the day, I think it's it's about working with all of the different stakeholder groups that are out there in order to get the best possible content moderation process. And so when we also think in general about scientific evidence, at the end of the day, that also comes from somewhere. Someone has said that this is the bar that you need to meet in order for your evidence to be high quality. There are then 
journals out there which are private organizations that are publishing these different publications so at the end of the day wherever you go you will see that there is someone out there some organization out there trying to be the arbiter of what is right and what is wrong and so you know we do need to work with all those all those different organizations and so specifically with health as i mentioned previously we work very closely with the nhs england with academy with the academy of medical royal colleges we also work through the relationship we have with the academy of Med- medical royal colleges we're working with a lot of other stakeholder groups in the health space we're also working with individual healthcare professionals who are creating the content on the front line and then we also have our own medical doctors internally and our trust and safety teams internally and so that combination of expertise is where is what i think gets us to the the kind of as right as possible place in terms of content moderation but i think there will always be challenges there will always be gray areas and there will all be always be things that maybe we have missed or we have misclassified relative to what uh, others would uh, would would have categorized a, a video as definitely and i think that's still very reassuring that that answer is a great answer and so what's next for youtube health what 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 have we got in the pipeline so you obviously you've had you recently um had your showcase announcing the health shelf and the the next plan for youtube health but let's just go over that plan it's quite exciting stuff isn't it yeah so so you know the health shelves at the moment are focused well exclusively open to health institutions and specifically in the uk nhs organizations and so what we're looking to do later this year is to open out those health shelves to any health organization or individual healthcare professional that is creating content on the platform. And so those applications will open in June or July. And the idea is that there are certain checks and balances that each of those channels that apply will have to go through. And those that qualify will then have the opportunity to have their content included in those health shelves. And so what that will do is it will increase the quantity of content on the health shelves, but it will also increase the quality and the diversity of content as well, because we appreciate that not everyone wants to hear from the NHS. We also appreciate that, uh, sorry, I should say hear from the NHS exclusively. We also appreciate that the NHS hasn't got the resources to create the right type of content on every single topic out there from every different angle so the beauty about youtube is it is where everyone can find their content niche and therefore when we think about diabetes depression breast cancer there are so many different perspectives on that that we would like to capture and elevate on the platform and that's what i think expanding out these health shelves will allow us to do another thing that we're going to continue doing is to develop more and more health misinformation policies we recently launched our eating disorders policy which um, restricts the type of content that people can upload around eating disorders because we know that certain types of content can trigger those with the condition in a negative way and and so we have been mindful of that and and cognizant of that with this new policy that we've launched so we'll do that for for a variety of other conditions i think that we're also one of the big things that we're trying to do is just create a movement amongst clinicians to create content but also to be more aware of the content that is already out there and how their patients might benefit from that. So a lot of our work say, well, how do we start putting these YouTube health videos into a care pathway and therefore making it a little bit um, more impactful on the health system, that this health information is reaching the right people when they need it 
and that is being advocated for by clinicians. And, and so that's a lot of what we're trying to do as well going forward. Yeah. And it's also about, I guess, relating to the masses, because as we know, you don't get one stereotypical patient. You have, uh, let's say, a patient with diabetes, but there's so many different factors with the age, their gender, their culture, their religious background, where they grew up. And so it's about creating those videos that appeal to each one of those individual targets, individual demographics. And so I want to talk a little bit about partnerships with creators and influencers, because obviously the way you promote healthy living and health information to the masses is by infiltrating and having a good relationship with these creators that are the ones that have the influence and by promoting health and fitness and just general mental physical well-being amongst these famous influential creators and so tell me a bit about these partnerships and secondly have you ever met KSI because obviously I'm a massive KSI fan so I just wanted to throw that out there as well (laughs) (laughs) so so, it's a that uh, your first question quick uh, your second question quickly i have not uh, my colleague looks after um sidemen and various other sort of big youtubers so you know we do have obviously lots of contact and we uh you know we have we have these youtubers coming to some of our events for sure so yes absolutely you know i think one of the one of the big uh one of the big things that we try to do is to build strong relationships with our creators and support them in any way that we can in order to be able to create the best possible content on the platform in terms of your first question so you know i think that there is a movement a burgeoning movement of clinician creators out there and we are trying to help educate those that community in terms of health video content creation and and so I think that what you'll find is there's lots and lots of clinicians maybe on Twitter and there's a decent number on Instagram and also on TikTok and what we're trying to do is to say there is value on creating content on YouTube, uh, which can seem a little bit of a slightly higher barrier to entry sometimes, especially with the long form video. And so using shorts as a way to say, you know, this is a good way to get started. Um, But yeah, we are doing a lot uh, to basically create that clinician creator community and then also to support that community. And so some of it is is just about, uh, you know, digging around on YouTube and other social media platforms and seeing who's out there already creating content. Some of it is around hosting events like we did in January where we had a big event to try and bring everyone together. As you bring everyone together, then more and more start to come out of the woodwork. And then some of it is about proactively reaching out to institutions like the Academy Medical Royal Colleges. So we're now going to go and speak to each of the individual medical colleges to say, well, look, here are the content standards that we've put together with your umbrella organization. Um, Here are some best practices for creating high quality health content. And here is an opportunity for you to elevate the content, for us to elevate the content that you are creating. And so, you know, would you be interested in getting involved with creating content, basically? So uh, there's, there's, you know, different avenues like that, that we are exploring different partnerships, which will enable us to, um, to kind of reach out to that clinician community. We're going, uh, one of the, one of the things I'd like to do a bit more of is going out to medical schools and sort of bringing that, bringing health on social media into the curriculum so we did i did a lecture to the ucl global business school of health um 
MBA students recently around how to make best use of healthcare um, on social media for your patients. And, and so, you know, that's something that we'd like to take to more medical students, um, continue running events, providing, you know, best practices and insights to individuals to, in, order to, in, in order to kind of grow that ecosystem of clinician creators. Sure. And it's exciting. And I think there will be a lot of value specifically pushing that amongst medical students, because I know a lot of students are interested in producing accurate, um, informative health content, but just don't know where to begin. And so helping those medical students or young doctors do that in this new digital age is going to be extremely valuable. And so, Michelle, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. And just before we finish, I just wanted to ask you, if there's anyone out there looking to get their foot get their foot in the door in the digital health health tech space, you're extremely, extremely accomplished. You've had so many different experiences, so many different jobs in, in this industry. So what advice would you give someone? Um, I, I would say sort of networking, really. And so you could use LinkedIn. Don't be afraid to send messages, reaching out to people. Try to have an angle. Try to say, this is what I'm interested in. I can see that this is what you've done. I'd like to talk specifically about this topic. I'd like to talk about this particular thing I'm thinking about doing in my career. And I think that if you give people something specific and give them a rationale for why you've reached out to them in particular, uh, then they'd be willing to speak with you. And so I do that. I would look at the Doctorpreneurs website. So doctorpreneurs.com, have a look on there. We've got some really good interviews with doctors turned entrepreneurs. We've also got some great opportunities listed for clinicians, especially interested in digital health. And then the third thing I would say is go out there to lots of different events, health tech events, get um, and meet people and listen to some of the listen to some of the talks and get some insights from the digital health companies that are already out there in the space and so um so you know those are a few of the things that i would say and on the doctorpreneurs website you can actually find a list of upcoming health tech events that you uh that one may be interested in attending so yeah those are some things that i would uh, encourage you to do yeah great thank you so much for coming on the podcast michelle and really great having you an amazing conversation you should definitely stay in touch yeah no thank you for having me Ash. it's been a pleasure